Hey guys, and welcome to the Abundance Alchemist podcast. I'm Caitlin Dorsey, an Abundance Alchemist, animal lover, trauma survivor to thriver, mindset expert, self-love junkie, and author. This is the place to be to grab those powerful tools, ideas, and inspiration to make lasting changes in yourself and your life. No more waiting, my friends, because it's time to show up unapologetically, radiate that confidence, and create a life you absolutely love. Time to buckle up and dive on in. Hello, everybody. I'm beyond excited to be here as always um, and so grateful that you're here. I know that your time is super valuable and I am beyond um, grateful and blessed to have you come and spend that time with me. So I wanted to talk about a couple concepts today that have been coming up, I feel like, a lot in different areas of society as well as like in my own personal life and kind of talking with different people about like what these words mean. And if you know me well, then you probably know that I really like to dive into like what do words mean? Because I think that sometimes there's this idea that words are just understood universally. And although that may be true, like how we identify words and use them as individuals can be different. Um, And what I mean by that is like values is a really great example. And I think I've chatted with this a little bit before, um, but I do this activity in treatment facilities that I work at where we do what's called a personal value card sort. And basically you have three categories that's very important to me, important to me, and not important to me. And there's, I think like 80 values um, that are in the deck of the the card sort. And the only rule is that there can only be three values in the very important to me category. And so we go over and do the activity. um, And that's the only kind of rule or structure that's given. And then I always have a discussion about the activity and we go over, you know, um, there's definitions on the cards of what that value means. And we talk about if that swayed the decision, as well as if it was difficult to only choose three and how values can shift over time, depending on what's going on in our life, as well as the fact that values do change, right? So we should do this continually based on, um, you know, that values are important. They drive everything that we do in our lives. But I always harp on the fact, like I said, that these definitions sway how we see something, especially with values, how we may identify family. Like even think of that word family. Like how do you identify it, right? Like it could be, you know, your immediate family, your blood relatives, your uncles, aunts, your friends. I mean, it really depends. We have blended families nowadays. Um I mean, we've always had blended families, but we have a lot more different types of families now um, than we used to. And so this idea of even the word family holds a lot of weight, right? And then there's also all these different emotions that come into play when we say the word family. It kind of comes up of what emotions come up when you think of your family. Um, Do you have good relationships? Do you have a good reaction in your body? Do you have a you know, tension come up in your body? What thoughts come to mind? Like there's words are really, really loaded because they hold so much of our own personal experience in them. And with that being said, I do want to chat about this because I actually had an interesting conversation with one of my friends today. And we're talking about an episode on um, Joe Rogan's podcast and just how he's like really direct and to the point. But the episode apparently was talking about you know, technology and robots and all these different things. And I thought it was really interesting because they were talking about the fear that, you know, 
robots and artificial intelligence and all these things could go the opposite direction where they're not being helpful. And, you know, that's been shown in like movies and different things, but not going down that rabbit hole. But the idea that I thought was really interesting is this idea that we think as a society that taking emotion out of something is logical, where it makes it logical. And we we really like to separate this. We like to separate the idea of logical and emotional. We like to separate in the idea of our brain, how we work, our choices, and so that the robot would just be logical. And then we also like to separate ourselves in so many different ways, right? Like I experience things physically. I experience things emotionally. I experience things energetically. Like we really don't, as a society... And like as humans look at things in really a holistic view, we're very like segmented or fragmented, right? And we even do this like perception of, you know, I look at, we don't look at things in like a big picture. We get very wrapped up in different things in our life and we look at things in segments. And the point of this to say is that we can't separate the two. So going back to this idea of the robots, we're looking at, oh, we're just making something logical, But we don't really understand that concept as humans because there is no physical way to only operate on a logical brain. We don't, our brain does not operate logically and emotionally. They operate together because every decision that's logical that we make is based on an emotional response or memory that we've had before. So the two work together. They cannot be separated. Yes, we can look at an extreme emotion, maybe taking a back burner to thinking, oh, this is right for me. But there is always emotion in everything that we do. So messing with the idea of like robots and thinking it's logical, we don't even understand what it means to operate fully on a logical way. And that ties into this idea with meaning and words because we are not we're looking at things again in a fragmented way. We're looking at things in sections or pieces, not in a holistic view. And so when we think of like values or what our different values mean and these different words mean, it's different to each of us based on emotions and experiences that we have had as individuals. And then we've decided what a general meaning of a word is But this is where like people that hold the same values may not actually have the same values as you. So paying attention to what words mean is really, really important. And I think it's very interesting. Um, And it's actually why I'm studying neuro-linguistic, to be a neuro-linguistic practitioner as well, because the relation between our mind and language and emotion and all this different stuff is really, really important in how it reacts. And I also think Again, like the physical piece comes in um, because, I, again, we don't look at things in segments. We are holistic beings, so we cannot separate them. However, coming down to why I even came on to chat in this episode is about two specific words, the first of which is trauma. This word trauma has come up several times on the podcast, and we've ta- chatted like briefly with guests about different types of trauma, and I shared a little bit of like my trauma story, um, you know, in the first episode um, very briefly, but I don't want to tell a trauma story because I think that that can get dangerous. That's like a war story, right? It's where we get into this like trauma comparison, um, which in itself is just a crazy concept to me because why 
Is it wanted that somebody's trauma has to be worse than somebody else's is just bizarre to me. However, it's because it goes with attention, right? It's like we have learned that people want attention, whether it's negative or positive. There's kind of these things that we learn as children. But regardless, it's a learned behavior. It's a learned story. But the reason I want to talk about trauma is because I think it's something that is just kind of thrown around a lot. And we don't necessarily think about what that word means and individually what it represents for each of us. Because on the last, um, or on an episode I recorded previously, uh, but it comes out actually next week, um, with Doug Cartwright, we talk a little bit about trauma and what that looks like, as well as what it looks like on even like the therapeutic level. Because I think this is where the big misconception comes. Trauma, when you look at just like a general definition, is anything that's like a distressing situation. When you look at it in the DSM-5, which is actually how it's diagnosed for different like disorders, like post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, all that stuff, trauma requires in the DSM-5 definition, actual or threatened death, serious injury, or sexual violence. So stressful events um, that are not involving an immediate threat to life or physical injury, such as a psychosocial stressor, which is like a divorce or job loss, are not considered trauma. And this is an interesting idea to me because that's not necessarily how I feel like the general public looks at it. I mean, to be honest, that's not how I look at it, right? And and I'm getting training in this and, you know, uh, currently in my master's for this and all these different things. But our literature and our diagnosis of trauma is very different than our accepted societal definition of what trauma is. And so I want to talk about that and really dive into, like, why does that matter? First of all, because you're you're meeting it at a different place um, than you may be in like a therapy session. And a lot of times when we have trauma, we seek outside help, right? We seek like a therapist or a coach or different things. So I want you to ask yourself, like, what does trauma mean to you? Because I resonate, like I said, a lot more with the society accepted idea of something that's really stressful and emotional or it puts me in a place where I feel like I'm in a difficult situation, right? Like I look at trauma as something that affects my life and becomes a story subconsciously that runs my life. And that's really what these stories do, right? Like trauma, you start to behave in certain ways and do certain things because of past traumatic events that have occurred in your life. And it's important to pay attention to what those are. Because again, if you're not if somebody asks you like, what is your trauma? Sometimes you would have like an immediate response, right? That's why I said like my trauma story. I, I talk a lot about like when I first started therapy towards the end of when I stopped going to traditional therapy, um, I had seen several different therapists and I always remember like the first session, they'd be like, okay, so tell me about you. And I immediately went into my trauma story of like, okay, this is what happened when I was this age. This is what happened when I was this age. Here's like my story. And I started to identify with telling that story of like, this is my life instead of this is what has occurred in segments of my life. Again, trying to fragment out 
pieces of that to create who I am holistically instead of looking at the big picture of all these different beautiful things that were happening in my life as well. And as well as I always say, I'm a strong believer. I know some people don't like this quote, but everything happens for a reason. I think that to me, it's really powerful and empowering to me because I get to choose that I accept everything that's happened in my life, not as right or wrong, but accept that it occurred and has made me who I am today. And so with trauma, you need to learn and know what you, you identify as trauma, not because it needs to trigger you or it needs to be told to anybody, but rather because it affects your life. When we have things that happen that are extreme emotional responses or stressors in our life, we begin to behave in ways that are responses to that trauma. And I also believe that the the emotion doesn't leave the body, right? So you're reacting emotionally and physically based on this, right? So um, I... I I'll tell this and I, and I actually talk about it with Doug in in the next episode, but I will say this too, because there are things that affect our lives so much for so long that in, in odd ways that we don't even realize it. And so I say like that I was sexually assaulted and when I was a teenager and I've done a lot of personal work and healing work on that, um, both energy, energetically with coaches, as well as therapy, like had a lot of support while I was doing that work, which I think is really important. And I also did a lot of inner healing on my own. But I share this because that was something I identified as trauma. And then I didn't realize that even like up into doing this podcast, if you'll notice, I've had female guests on up into this point, and I haven't had any male guests. And it's not because I have asked male guests or I was approached by male guests and I said no, or I didn't ask any, well, I didn't ask any, but it's not because I had any conscious idea about that until I started really looking at this kind of idea. And I thought, oh my gosh. And I didn't notice it until I was actually taking one of my um, educational courses. And it was about like prejudice and sexism and racism and all these different things. And those are such like loaded topics. So I don't want to get into any of that. And it's not anything that was that. I realized it was because I had this idea in my brain that was still playing out. I was sexually assaulted by a man And therefore, I was running that story in my mind of men are unsafe. And this is interesting because I didn't feel like I played out in every single um, interaction with a male that I had, right? Like I work with men. I um, am married to a man. I have male family members. I have male friends. Like I didn't realize that this was playing out because I was having those interactions. But when I looked at it, I was like, okay, The podcast is a place that I feel like I show up completely authentically as myself. I am vulnerable. I show up on like open book because I think it's what this is here for. This platform is here to be real. It's not going to help anybody or like anybody in their life if I'm not showing up authentically and real. Like this is who I am. I'm a person. I'm not perfect. I have flaws. We're going to talk about, you know, raw, real material, all of that stuff. And so I started thinking, but wow, this is playing out when I'm feeling 
fully authentic and vulnerable. It takes time for those walls to come down. But I immediately, when I interact with someone, I have that guard up. And partially, I think that's as humans, we do. But I was noticing it was different with men than it was with women. And so I started noticing, okay, where is that story playing out in my life? And it was playing out because of a trauma that I had years ago that I've done a ton of work on and I've done a ton of healing, but I didn't notice the story that it was still affecting me. And when I did, the crazy part is of just noticing it and saying, oh, wow, that has been affecting my life and my story. I was able to step into this place where I said, okay, I'm going to have a man on the podcast, not because I need to or like I feel obligated to, but because I want to, because there's no reason that I shouldn't, right? Like we're all humans. We're all connected. We're all amazing. And so I put that intention out there. And within, you know, when I was reaching out to guests and and looking at like who I wanted to have on and having people reach out to me, oddly enough, majority of them were men. And I thought, that's just crazy. Like the energetic piece of it, as well as just this kind of cognitive idea and recognition of this story that I've been playing because of a traumatic event was really incredible to say the least. And so by identifying what the word trauma means to you and identifying events in your life that you've you say are trauma or you would tell someone were traumatic because they made your life difficult in some way or emotionally it was hard for you like death loss um you know some of those things that are threatening to your life even if they do meet the dsm criteria right like um it said immediate uh, life danger sexual violence those are our trauma yeah but just because somebody else doesn't identify it or society doesn't identify it, or a therapeutic tool doesn't identify it as trauma, you know how it affects you and it's traumatic to you, which means that it is affecting your life and how you choose and go through. So I think that's really important to look at. And then the next one I want to chat about um, is kind of with trauma in a sense, um, but it's very much about victim shaming. And I said the word trauma comparison, and I think this kind of goes in line with um, victim shaming quite a bit. Basically, when someone points a finger and says that a traumatic event or traumatic experience or something occurred that is labeled as traumatic were accepted as trauma, we'll say that, um, in a societal view, is has the person that experienced the traumatic event has a finger pointed at them and says, this is your fault. And I think immediately like the reaction that people have is like, oh, I would never do that. And I think that this is really a reaction too, where like, you know, happens with a lot of different types of, again, like sexism, prejudice, racism. It becomes to the point where, yes, there is intentional acts of those. And then there's also unconscious or learned that we don't feel like we are doing them, right? So I think victim shaming is something that we don't really think about, but we subconsciously do a lot. Like how many times have you ever said something like, you knew that was going to happen? Or you shouldn't have been drinking. You were under the influence. Or, you know, the one we hear a lot, which is very unfortunate, but like the woman asked for it. Did you see what she was wearing? You shouldn't dress like that because you're asking for it. Um, 
you sent mixed messages. Was your door even locked? Um, how hard did you try to stop it? Like these different questions of questioning why something occurred is actually victim shaming. And I think that I struggle with this idea because I, I know that in my own personal life with my trauma, part of what helped me heal some of that trauma is taking accountability for my actions and my part in that. I do feel like I put myself in a situation that was not going to be healthy in any way that I felt like, but I also am not blaming myself for what happened because I was in a very different state of my life and state of mind and growth and all these different things. But I do feel like I took part in that. However, I think that this idea of victim shaming, victim shaming is very different depending on where it's coming from, right? Because for me, that was helpful to see. For other people, that's absolutely not going to be helpful and may not resonate at all. The victim shaming part is when it comes from another person and it's questioning someone else's experience based on how they experienced it, right? Like, by asking those questions, you're actually causing the person to say that happened because you deserved it. And I know that that doesn't feel right, right? Like if you're like, well, how drunk were you or something? You're not thinking that you're saying, oh, that happened because you deserve it. But you are in a sense because you're saying that that person's behavior led that traumatic event to be appropriate to happen. And I think we get in like kind of this deep, murky water here um, with, you know, what that is and how to address victim shaming. But I think the important piece of it is knowing that a person's trauma is individual to them and no person ever deserves a traumatic event to happen, right? Even if you look at karma and all that different stuff, we are all humans trying to figure out life the very best that we can. I think this again goes down to like our moral beliefs of like, if we believe people are born good or bad or all that different stuff. But I very much believe that everyone is trying to get through life the best that they can. We do learn things that might not be appropriate. We do learn behaviors that are maybe not looked at as beneficial or healthy but we also do behaviors because we get something out of them with every single thing we do. And it doesn't mean it's a positive something we get out of it or it's negative, but going to back to like that attention piece where we've learned positive or negative attention. Sometimes they just like a human just wants attention and it doesn't matter if it's positive or negative. Again, these are learned behaviors. So paying attention to what, we're doing and what we're saying to other people is important because it can be construed as being insensitive, right? As far as victim shaming or some telling someone that they deserve their trauma or that their trauma isn't real trauma. Let me get into this idea of like trauma comparison, like I said, which is very much in this kind of field. And I know that this can be uncomfortable to talk about, um, which I always say like discomfort is where we grow. But this really is important and it's not people being too sensitive. It's not, um, you know, any of these other things that we may hear. It's really important to see how we identify these things because how we identify these things is not the same as other people identifying things. 
And it also affects us. It affects our lives and how we move through it and how we show up in our experiences with other people. Therefore, the collective, right? So trauma comparison is very much in these categories because for some reason, people have decided that it's appropriate to compare trauma or to minimize trauma almost in a hopes to make someone feel better because somebody has it worse than them. And wow, if that isn't messed up, right? I mean, like, there is nothing that bothers me more than when I am struggling with someone and someone says, well, at least you are this, or at least you don't have, you have running water, or at least you have a meal on the table. And I absolutely understand that. There is 100% privilege for different people in different ways, right? It is a privilege that I have a meal on the table. It is a privilege that I have running water. Absolutely. I am not taken away from that. However, privilege was not what was coming up for me in that moment, right? I absolutely have the right to experience and process something that's occurring in my life that I see as traumatic. And when you compare someone else's trauma, even if it's in a way to make them feel better of like, at least you don't have this, or at least you're not dealing with this, it minimizes the person's experience which shows them, again, the reinforced subconscious message is that you deserved whatever happened or you are not worthy of having that experience and you're not worthy of feeling those emotions. Like you're telling someone that how they feel is inappropriate, which is not okay, right? Like we deserve to experience every single emotion. Every single emotion has a role in a healthy life. Every emotion in our body and our life that we experience in our mind that we feel is something that we need to do. It is part of being a human. It's part of the human experience. So by comparing someone's trauma or telling them like, at least you don't have this or, you know, um, wow, you really shouldn't be upset about that because there's other people struggling with other things. You're knocking someone else's someone else down to point out a privilege that someone else has. And I do understand that there is this idea of other people don't have that. And we become, if we help people become aware of privilege, then we can assist other people in having other privileges. But I'm going to be brutally honest. And I know that some people are not going to like that I say this, but life is never going to be fair. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to help each other out and love each other and be respectful and kind to each other. But by breaking someone else down, you're not helping them, just like you're not going to be help, helping the people that you are thinking that it may help, right? Like by breaking another human down because somebody else is struggling with a different, but maybe you see it as worse experience. It's not helping anybody. You're not raising the other person's experience that you feel like is struggling worse than somebody else. You're not making that better. And you're not making it better for the other person that now you're minimizing their experience. So trauma comparison, although it may be seen as trying to help that person see their fortune or their privilege or the lack of someone else's privilege, even though it may have an intention that you feel is pure behind it, We have to be really, really careful as humans because 
breaking someone else down is never the way to spread love and bring another person up. If you break someone down because you feel that they've broken someone else down, you're no better than them, right? We like to get on this hierarchy and like I said, segment different pieces of, well, at least I didn't do that or I have, you know, I do this or whatever it is. We like to put ourselves on this high, like hierarchy and on our high horse about like who we are and what we're doing. But the reality is that we're all trying to live our lives and we're all trying to experience the best human experience. And we're all also so full of love. So focusing on that and focusing, and I know it may seem woo-woo for some people, but this is really powerful. Like our focus is where our energy goes. So when we look at comparing trauma or victim shaming or not acknowledging our trauma, we're doing ourselves a disservice and we're also doing everybody else a disservice because we're not acknowledging our individuality as well as our collective, right? And I know that's, that seems odd to say, but it's really, really true. So when you're moving through your life and you are looking at what words mean to you and identifying your trauma and looking at the stories that you tell, also be really, really careful about the language you're using when talking to other people. And everybody's going to, this is going to be work in progress for everybody. Nobody's perfect, right? Like I still, I absolutely still mess up and struggle. And I'm sure that I have victim shamed here or there. And I'm sure that I have minimized trauma here or there, right? We've all done this. We're not perfect. Like we are supposed to learn as humans. However, how we learn is identifying these different things and identifying that these things are not right and that we should be loving each other and supporting each other in every single individual experience. Because the other thing too, is you do not have to understand exactly what it feels like to be going through an experience or know or have been there to help. What helps is support. What helps is empathy, putting yourself in someone else's shoes. What helps is just being present, right? You do not have to say something to rescue someone when they are having a hard time with a traumatic event. You do not have to give any reason or meaning or whatever you're searching for to what someone experienced. I think we get in this place of where society has got us into this fix-it mode of like, how can I fix it? How can I make this person feel better? And of course we want to do this, not only because sometimes we're people-pleasing behavior, but because we don't like to see people, especially people we care about, not happy, struggling, hurt, in pain. It's hard. But we've got to remember that that's not our journey and that that's an individual's experience. We're not meant to be giving each other other meaning. We're not meant to tell a person how to experience or how to feel or how to get through something. The most helpful thing that a person can do is be there. We like community. We are beings that want to be supported and connected to each other. Again, I think that the idea of extrovert and introvert is fine, but it doesn't really hold any weight in the sense when we say that regardless, people experience happiness when we are connected to each other. 
Connection is powerful and connection does not mean that we are saying anything. So that's the other piece of this, of this kind of long winded talking about trauma and victim shaming and trauma comparison and meaning of words is also remember that sometimes the words don't have to be correct. The words don't even have to be spoken, right? We understand that sitting next to someone can sometimes be the most powerful thing. I will tell you, like in, like I said, when I went to uh, therapy and I was telling, you know, my story, some days, some of those powerful moments that I had in my own journey of healing and sometimes still do is when people just sit with me, when my counselor would just sit there and acknowledge what I was feeling and just be, that was all I needed. Same thing with my husband. Sometimes I'll say stuff about, you know, having a hard day or I'm struggling with something and I don't need him to fix it. I just need him to be there, right? Sometimes all we need is a hug. Sometimes all we need is a person sitting in the same room as us. We like attention. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But when someone gives you their undivided attention, and doesn't minimize what you're going through, doesn't shame you for what you're going through, doesn't try to provide meaning to what you're going through, and is just there, it's powerful. It's healing. It's supportive. So I know this was a bit long-winded, and I don't want this to seem like it is shaming anybody for any behavior that we've done, because we can't control that. But when we gain the knowledge, knowledge is power when it is implemented, right? Let's keep that in mind. When it's implemented and put into action, it's powerful. So when you take the knowledge here of knowing that, you know, a certain phrase you may say could be minimizing or shaming or comparison, it may not be helpful. Take that and implement it and see what changes. See, you know, what happens. Because again, like this is not to beat ourselves up. This is not to you know, look at us and say, oh my gosh, I victim shamed somebody because honestly, I'm sure every single human being has, right? We're not, like I said, we're not perfect. This is to see how to show up better for yourself and in your other interactions with everybody else. When one of us grows, we all grow. So pay attention, pay attention to what you say, pay attention to what you feel and move through life paying attention to those. I hope this was helpful. As always, I absolutely love you guys. And again, I'm so grateful for your time and you guys listening and sharing these ideas and moving through. Please subscribe, 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 rate, and review. Let me know what you think. Let me know about your experience with this. Um, also, feel free to ever send me an email and reach out and connect with me. I would love to hear from you guys, love to hear what you want to hear on the podcast um, and, you know, just how this is affecting your life. But um, as always, have a great rest of your day. And I look forward to seeing you guys again soon on the Abundance Alchemist podcast. Thank you for hanging out with me on the Abundance Alchemist podcast. Don't forget to head over and grab your free self-love activation meditation at theabundancealchemist.com and hit subscribe here so you don't miss a thing. Until next time, sending you so much love.